before we begin, uh, I'd like to share a story with you guys. So once upon a time, there was a king. And the king had many princes and princesses. And every day, each of them would come up to the king and go, Father, I would like some money to buy the things that I want. Father, I would like more servants, more horses, more clothes. Bigger rooms so I can put my things in them. But one day, a prince came in front of the king, and instead of asking for the things that he wanted, he asked, Father, what is it that you want? So this story um, was told to me by May earlier this year, and this really stood out to me because, one, I love a good story, but two, how often do we do that to God? You know, God, can you help me with this? God, can you give me that? And while God is so gracious and so patient that he is listening to all our prayers, have we ever stopped to think about what God wants? And more importantly, are you ready to ask what God wants? So where can we find this answer to this question? What does the king want? And as we do, we can find this answer through the Bible. And while I was preparing for this sermon, I was trying to figure out how to summarize the Bible without taking all day. Like, how do I summarize the Bible for you guys without confusing you guys? So I decided to play you guys a video instead. So this video was made by an organization called Global Frontier Missions. And it's an organization that focuses on sending out missionaries to areas where Christianity is not known. So let's just spend about five minutes watching this video. The Bible is an incredible text made up of 66 different books written by more than 40 authors over a span of a thousand years. It is not just a compilation of a bunch of different stories or a self-help manual or even a devotional book. It is one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God's glory. Let's take a look at his story. In the beginning, God created everything for himself and his glory. At the pinnacle of that creation, he made man so that God could share himself with others. We were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with the glory of God. But man decided that God couldn't be trusted, that he was holding something back from us. We decided to live for ourselves instead of for God, and this filled the earth with sin and selfishness. The generations of man had soon gone so far off track, in fact, that God flooded the entire earth and started over with a man named Noah. When Noah stepped off the ark, God told him the same words he had told Adam, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Once again, however, humanity looks to give itself honor instead of God. Because they all shared the same language, it was easy to communicate and cooperate, so they made a plan. At a place called Babel, they would build a tower up to the heavens, and in doing so, make a name for themselves. They labored to build their own kingdom rather than obey God's command. They had made the same mistake as each of the generations before them. Since mankind had ignored his message to spread his name and his glory throughout the earth, God took matters into his own hands. He scrambled the languages of the people so they could no longer communicate easily with each other. 
In that moment, God had formed the many different tribes and peoples of the world. So the different people groups spread to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Out of those nations, God chose a man named Abraham and made a covenant with him. God told Abraham that he would bless him and all his descendants, turning them into a great nation that would bless all the other nations. God eventually called this nation Israel, and he began to demonstrate his glory through them in many ways. He gave them a set of laws to live by so that they could live separate and holy lives from all the other nations. In doing so, they would become his royal priests, mediating between God and man. By living out his commands in the sight of the nations, Israel would encourage people to love God and love others. God also gave Israel a special geographical place on the earth, strategically located in the middle of all other nations. It was in this promised land that Israel would be a light to all nations, showing them the path to God even in the darkness of the world. Sometimes Israel would live out this calling well, understanding God's desire to bless all of the peoples of the earth through them. Other times, though, Israel would fall into the same trap that humanity had again and again, glorifying itself rather than glorifying God. When Israel got off track, God intervened. Sometimes he raised up prophets to remind them of their mandate to bless the nations with the blessings he had given them. Other times he would discipline his people by allowing them to be taken captive by other nations. Regardless, God used Israel, even in their disobedience, to make his name great throughout the earth. But all of this was just the beginning of what God had in store. In all of its ups and downs, Israel grew hungry for a promised Messiah King who would establish an everlasting kingdom that would never be defeated. That, of course, leads us to Jesus. God sent his son Jesus to earth for 33 years to dramatically demonstrate the Father's love for both Jew and Gentile alike. Yes, he was from King David's bloodline, but his genealogy had both Jews and Gentiles in it. His first worshipers were the wise men, Gentiles from the East, Angels proclaimed that his salvation would be for all peoples. Even his baby dedication identified him as a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Time and time again, Christ reminded his disciples, who considered themselves God's favorite, that God's plan from the beginning was to bless all peoples. His life modeled this message perfectly. He became angry when the temple wasn't being used as a house of prayer for all nations. He told parables about the kingdom of God being a kingdom for all people groups. And he preached good news to Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, educated, and uneducated alike. Jesus served Canaanites, Samaritans, Romans, and Greeks. He was and is a true Messiah for all nations. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose again with a perfect resurrection. Then, he commanded us to go make disciples of all nations, the perfect words to sum up his ministry. He told us that this gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all of the ethnic groups, and then the end would come. We saw the beginnings of this when the Holy Spirit filled the disciples at Pentecost and told the wonders of God in all the different languages of the world. We saw it continued when Christ called Paul and other apostles to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It continues even now. We are waiting for the end that we see in Revelation, when the Lamb of God, Jesus, has purchased with his blood people from every nation. Those people will form a multitude that no one can count, from every tribe, tongue, and people group, worshiping and saying, 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the story of the Bible, a single cohesive story from cover to cover. God's story, the story of his glory among all the nations. But it can't come to fruition until all nations have heard. He invites you into that story. He invites you into that mission. What part will you play? Yep, so what can we learn from this video? So we can learn two things. One, that God, well, the Bible is actually God's story, not ours. And it's one cohesive story about God's mission to bring his people back to him. So we can sometimes fall into the trap of reading the Bible with a me-centered lens. Like we open up the Bible and go, what can I get out of this today? Or we can open it and go, what is the Bible going to show me in my situation right now? And sometimes we can forget that it's actually God's story and his mission to seek and save the lost. So one, the Bible is about God's mission. And two, we are a part of this story. When we read the Bible, we read about all these people, you know, Abraham, Joshua, Daniel, David, Jonah, and so forth. And these were all, God, all people that God used to carry out his mission. And we see that through Jesus, that he invites us to be a part of this too. And to summarize, we know that one, the Bible is about God's mission to bring his people back to him. And two, that he uses people to fulfill his mission. So what is this mission? What does God want? And we can see this clearest in the passage, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So if you've got your Bibles out, feel free to get that passage out, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen for you guys. So Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So for those who have been at church for a while, um, this passage is known as the Great Commission. So before I read this passage, I just wanted to give you guys a bit of context. So this passage is happening after Jesus rose from the dead, and he spends a few days with his disciples. And he spends those few days teaching them and showing them what they need to be doing while he's gone. And what's important to know, that this is the last recorded conversation that Jesus has with his followers. So imagine this, if it's the last thing you should say to, you've got to say to someone, it's got to be important, right? And Jesus said this, All authority, <clears throat> sorry, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what is the command that Jesus gives to his disciples? What does God want for us? We can see from this passage it is to go and make disciples of all nations through baptizing them and teaching them what it means to be a follower of Christ. So through Jesus' words, we can observe four things about God's mission. First, 
the authority of the mission. Verse 18, Jesus says himself, all, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the authority of this mission is God, not us. So what did that mean? It means that the person who has commanded us to do these things is God himself. Not me, not the church, not the pastor, not the other Christians in the world, but God himself. And sometimes we can forget what God is capable of. Sometimes we think that church is where I can share my faith, but in my workplace, in my school, in my neighbourhood, at my gym, I shouldn't. But we must know that we've got the backing of God when we go out to our neighbours and to the workplace or the schools or the world. And second, we see the focus of this mission. What do we need to do? Verse 19, go and make disciples. The command go implies that we're to move from one place to another. And this is the focus of God's mission that this command makes it clear that we're not to remain here in our four walls. There's so many references, so many definitions of mission, but in the Bible, it simply means to send. So the church's function is to empower and equip and send people to go out and make disciples. Let me share with you guys a few stories. Hudson Taylor. So Hudson Taylor was a British missionary who first arrived in China in 1854. And he saw the great need for the gospel in that country and worked tirelessly to share the gospel to the Chinese locals. He was also responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries into the country, which is one of the largest number of missionaries ever sent to China, who then founded 125 schools and resulted in 18,000 Christians in China. His impact was not felt just by the people in China, but the people back at home who were also encouraged to go out and make disciples in their own communities. So let's share another story. In 1900, Sydney, Australia, a group of Christians had the desire to relocate together to the community of Burwood. They built a church up the main road on Clarence Street and began a church there. And they decided to call themselves the Burwood Church of Christ and continued to carry out God's mission until they closed in November 2020. So the common theme from these two stories is that God, the people took God's command to go out and make disciples and actually went out and shared the gospel in their respective communities. But here the question, what do you think or what do you feel when you hear these stories? Do we feel encouraged to do it ourselves or do we feel uncomfortable? That's for the extreme Christians. This command is just for the missionaries overseas. overseas or it's just a pastor's job. But I don't have to do that because I'm not ready to. But when God says, go and make disciples of all nations, it's not a suggestion or something that only special Christians do. 
but it's a command given to all of us. Yeah, it's not a command saying that we should all just quit our jobs right now, sell everything and become full-time missionaries. But we are all a part of the body of Christ, focused on being on missions with God. And thirdly, we see the scope of this mission. So verse 19 says, make disciples of all nations. So when does this mission end? The mission ends when the gospel has reached all people groups of all nations. And sometimes we can be so limited in thinking that God only cares about us and our neighbourhood. And sometimes we can be very limited in thinking what we should do and how we think about church, myself included. Like we live so comfortably here in Australia, but the reality is that many parts of the world that does not know Jesus yet. It is estimated that of the 7.75 billion people in this world, that 3.23 of them live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's about 41% of the world that had not heard the gospel. So God's heart isn't just for us, but it's also for the world. And fourthly, we see the means of this mission. Verse 19 to 20. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey the commands. So from this verse, Jesus is not saying you have to be baptized to be a Christian, but the significance of this baptism had many levels back then. So it didn't just symbolize the inward desire to follow Christ, but it also showed one's acknowledgement to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it was kind of like an initiation for that new Christian into the community of believers. And it's not just getting them baptized and our job is done. But we're also told to teach them the commands of Jesus through this process. So it's through sharing and guiding them to accept Christ and showing them through teaching the word and through example to be more like Christ. So this means that we can do this here in our church. We can help them meet Christ. We can help them get baptized. And we can teach them what it means to follow Christ. There's nothing here about you have to go overseas or become a pastor to do it. Just simply go out and make disciples through baptism and teaching. So going back to the question, what does the king want? And the king wants his people in all of the earth to know him. We can see that the storyline of the Bible is about God's mission that we are a part of. And we can see four things, the authority, the focus, and the scope, and the means of this mission in this passage we just read. And the challenge for us now is to see how it plays out in our own lives. And even more importantly, if we're allowing it to play out in our own lives. Number one, it changes the way that we see church. And sometimes we can lose sight of that. 
like Wickham Mistake Church, as something that people do on a Sunday, as a moral obligation, or a social club, or a break in the week, a place where we dedicate to God on a Sunday, but in the six days after that, we do whatever we want. But is that really the heart of God for our church? Is that really all there is to be a Christian? Just ask the king for things and that's it? What about what God wants? And what about his heart for the world? Friends, the local church is first and foremost an instrument of God to carry out his mission to seek and save the lost. Not for our own benefit or something that needs to be hidden, but to be a blessing to the world. Like the past few months, we've been going through the book of Luke, and when we read passages like, feed my sheep, be the salt and light, seek and save the lost, love your neighbours, preach the gospel, what do we see it as? The local church exists not only to help non-believers meet Christ, but it's also to help believers see God's heart and give them the confidence and the boldness to go out and make disciples in their own community. We can also see the church as part of a, of a bigger global church who are all united in this mission to seek and save the lost as well. So how does that look? For those that don't know, we support a missionary couple in Cambodia named Deborah and Martin. And they're carrying out God's work through outreach and sharing the gospel with their communities and the locals over there. And we at the local church support them in prayer and finances. And my prayer is that we can equip and train more of us to go out and make those connections, not just globally, but also in our own neighbourhoods. And that God's work wouldn't be limited to Deborah and Martin's work in Cambodia, but also for us to do it in our own backyard. And secondly, this also had big implications for us. Sometimes I struggle to put God first, and sometimes I don't think about his mission. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, John 3.16. So we know that his love isn't some vague concept or an idea but something he showed to us very clearly. And something I've been thinking about is, what if God didn't use people to carry out his mission? Like when I first came to the church in 2012, I became a Christian the following year. And I was in uni at that time. And leading up to that moment, I was really questioning on what the purpose of life is. You know, I'm at uni, but I'm thinking... What's the point of getting a good degree and getting a good job after that and saving money, you know, investing in a few properties and shares and having a stable family and retire comfortably if we're all just going to die in the end? Is that all there is to life? But if there weren't people around me that, were help, that helped me through these questions, if there wasn't people around me that invited me to church, read the Bible with me, if there wasn't someone who was just there when I wrestled with my doubts and my frustrations towards God, 
then I probably wouldn't have met Christ and probably wouldn't have been here either. So that's why we're called as Christians to go out and make disciples because others can enjoy this joy too. So, to finish up, we see that the Great Commission gives us four things. The authority, the focus, the scope, and the means of this mission. Like, I love our church and the way that God is working in it, but we're not called to enjoy this by ourselves. We're not called to just grow the inside of the church, but we need to use it as a way of reaching out to our neighbours. Friends, we're not, we're not here in this church by accident. We're here because we were either spiritually led by God to come to church or that someone that God used to bring you here. And this same God invites you to be a part of this story. And I pray that we can become a church that cared about what God cared about, to be on his mission to go out and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray.